In this podcast, I will be speaking as if from the protagonist government of a subversive warfare campaign. I do not advocate any methods or stratagems. I do, however, promote the ability to recognize and analyze malign subterfuge aimed at the United States, her interests, and her allies, and when appropriate, moral, and legal in warfare, to employ deception carefully and ethically in order to protect U.S. values and interests. The seven deadly sins of subterfuge are as follows. One, subterfuge as a continuing effort. Hide all ways, means, and ends while conducting subversive warfare, because subversive warfare is by definition indirect and or insensible. Deception is the other side of the subversion coin. Deception can come in many forms to include, but not limited limited to, confusing, distracting, or overwhelming with disinformation, an adversary or competitor. Operational security is rarely enough. Given enough time, an adversary will likely overcome your security procedures. Also keep in mind the paradox that more secrecy, that is higher classifications, more caveats, less access, will warrant more attention and extra effort from an adversary. In other words, do not hide an important planning document in an obvious vault, just as you should not hide precious heirlooms in an obvious safe in your home, as that will draw most of the attention and effort of would-be burglars. Assume surveillance of email and electronic communications, no matter how guarded or closed the system. Go analog or offline, if possible. At one end of the spectrum is the Navajo speakers calling for artillery fire in the Second World War, a language the Japanese could not understand or interpret. Assume the media other governments and non-state actors can read and understand every communique. If, for example, you must have a sensitive conversation, let's say, with a troubled employee, a conversation that, if publicized, would be hurtful to the employee, hold that talk offline at a site that is unlikely to be bugged. However, even if these above extreme measures are taken, one must accept that this only limits the likelihood of cyber intrusion and intelligence collection. Even if intelligence analysts are writing with a typewriter, that is your, our intelligence analyst, for example, if one unwitting staff member brings her turned off cell phone to work, a savvy intelligence organization, that is a foreign intelligence organization, may know what she is writing from the sound of the typewriter and overheard conversations in the obvious, in the office. And of course, even after going offline, communications and systems may still be vulnerable to human imagery, and other types of intelligence collection, as well as sabotage and military attack. Number two of the seven deadly sins of subterfuge is lots of corroboration. Feed an adversary false intelligence backed up by distorted, corroborating, unclassified reporting so that the adversary wastes time and resources on a misunderstanding of your goals, your strengths, your weaknesses, your will, and your composition. This can include a mix of media spills, media interviews, conference talks, counterfeit intelligence, the spread of rumors throughout the corporate world and the blogosphere, and communities of interest on the ground. As H. Von Dock wrote, it is almost impossible to maintain secrecy, but often can be better achieved, that is, secrecy can be better achieved through the use of misleading rumors than through tight security, to provide the enemy with several stories. If done well, according to Epstein in Deception War, One side distorts the intelligence of the other, alters its rival's perceived reality that the rival neglects its true interests and purpose uh, and pursues bogus ones. 
Number three for the seven deadly sins of subterfuge is play to existing biases and misassumptions. False intelligence information may be most effective when they play to already existing biases and misunderstandings the enemy has about you. In general, one wishes to make weaknesses look like strengths and strengths look like weaknesses while playing into the competitor's or adversary's misassumptions about you. According to Epstein in 1989, the deceived becomes its own deceiver. The victim's leadership has to be in a state of mind to want to accept and act on the disinformation, that it fits in with the adversary's prevailing preconceptions or interests, and that the victim has to be in a state of mind in which he is so confident of his own intelligence that he is unwilling to entertain evidence or even theories that he or can that he is or can be duped. Deception of the Comanche, one of your readings. Unwitting, or more likely unwitting until some realize its usefulness, they were able to wield an influence over the plains not seen except for famous empires studied in history or studied more regularly in history courses. Especially helpful was that few outsiders knew the number of Comanche who were in charge. There seemed to be chaos, structuralist, leaderless organizations. This helped greatly in their empire and being able to best so many intruders, the Spanish, Mexicans, the Plains First Nations peoples, displaced Eastern nations and Eastern tribes, colonists, frontiersmen, and then North Americans. Outsiders were chasing false and distorted ghosts created in their subconscious, subconscious from what they knew about other tribes and nations in the Americas that were wholly inappropriate when applied to the Comanche. This included misassumptions about the nature of influence and control, about the importance of speed, distance, and time, about the nature of the communication and information environment. Bands were not typical tribes and talked across bands. Members could switch bands when they wanted and share stories and lessons about warfare. Those leaders with tribal authority, war party leaders, justice brokers, peacekeeping liaisons, and those leaders with the authority to actually negotiate were not understood by non-Comanche. Size, number, identity, language, goals, worldview, values, family units, marriage, laws were under, misunderstood by outsiders. No one even bothered to call them by their actual names and just kept doubling down on a badly mispronounced slang term given the Comanche, given by a rival tribe to the Spanish. No one bothered to even correct themselves on the most basic aspects of who the Comanche were until the very end of the war between North Americans and Comanche. Number four, target-specific groups. If you are influencing institutional sabotage, which we'll talk later on in the course about, in another government or organization, you may wish to give the appearance of wins and measures of effect to toxic, ineffective, and inefficient intelligence leaders so that they are promoted. For example, you can leak false intelligence to an adversarial or competitive government that let's call this fictional figure Minister X along with his policies. That Mr. X is causing you great damage. And they and their policies are a great, a grave danger, when in truth they are not. If subtle enough, an adversarial state may then promote Minister X to higher office or at least follow his lead. The same can be done to target certain scholars. If there is a major national security issue, for example, Russia disinformation, you will find dozens in many cases, hundreds of warring scholars overanalyzing the problem. 
People build their careers, reputations, and industries, their livelihoods, in the millions of dollars rewarding vehemently different and contradictory ideas. Find the most incompetent ideas and the most egotistical and arrogant scholars and provide information that corroborates their view. Number five, gaps and seams. One method for subtlety and stealth is by planning and overseeing subversive campaigns in temporal, geographic, and bureaucratic seams. Conduct planning and execution when the target government, for example, is focused elsewhere or overwhelmed with other challenges. If low footprint presence is required, consider executing the mission along municipal, provincial, national, and military borders and seams. This is from journalist and novelist Don Winslow on New York City. And I quote, criminals stroll the streets that border precincts because no cop wants to make a bust across the line. Too much paperwork. Low-level dealers see a cop coming, they cross the street. One method of operating within gaps and seams also is to attach your main intention as part of other legitimate meetings or working groups or reporting or events. This was the approach that was taken in the case study of the White House-Vatican solidarity campaign to subvert Soviet influence. White House officials in that case study met with Catholic leaders under the real umbrella of other real-world pressing interests and issues. So a meeting about Lebanon, Latin America, and Afghanistan would be held while nothing was announced about the intentions to speak about Poland, even when Poland was a major focus, and in some cases, the actual reason behind the meeting. Number six is layers. Think of the importance of your deception or the importance of a deception about your deception about your deception. So deceptions on top of deceptions on top of deceptions. For layers, step one can be called a fence, a virtual or physical wall. Encryption or camouflage, for example, is built to keep adversaries from noticing something. Careful not to let this fence bring unwanted attention to what is being protected. It may be wise for the fence to appear to be that of any other normal non-special object or system. Sometimes the best deception is to hide in plain sight. As is written in the Chinese 36 Stratagems, the obvious can be used as a vessel in which to hide secrets. And from 20th century Brazilian guerrilla Carlos Magrela, as he wrote about his spies and surveillance lookouts, the urban guerrilla must know how to live among the people, and he must be careful not to appear strange and different from the ordinary city life. He should not wear clothes that are different from those that other people wear. And we can use this perhaps as an analogy or theme in thinking about subterfuge. That hiding in plain sight is sometimes a sound course of action. A glaring figurative safe, as I said earlier, may become a target. Step two or layer two of the layers is a fake. A fake is a deception that may include a plan to make an adversary think something else is happening, causing the adversary to misappropriate its, fo misappropriate its focused time and energy. A fake is something normally conducted continuously over the long term. It may change, and it may include a number of related deception warfare narratives. A suggestion during the Southern Key Dynasty was to drop defenses to feign a trap. It may sometimes be better to deliberate to deliberately display weakness to confuse the enemy and make the latter abandon the attack for fear of trickery. The third layer is a feint. A feint, as the decisive hour approaches, whether it is the beginning of an offensive subversive campaign or when a hacker comes near to reaching secure information, a feint confuses the adversary and draws their attention away from the target. 
a feint is a last-minute fake. As 36 stratagems suggest, and I quote, use a decoy to trick the enemy, putting him in a confused state, and he will fall into the trap. And the last layer is the fix. At the decisive moment, or as the decisive moment approaches, one wishes the adversary to focus their attention in the wrong direction. It fixes an enemy's eyes away from what is protected at the very last second. This is an enemy has tripped up your warning systems and made their way through your fence, your fake, and your faint layers. That's when you employ the fix. And number seven for the seven deadly sins is that if all else fails, sheer quantity may be helpful, especially consider deception through exhaustion. Hide a piece of sand on the beach. Throw out so much information, so many data points, so many believable deception stories, so many real stories of unimportant matters that observers are unable to discern truth from fiction, unable to discern your actual focus. For example, a non-state actor may publish in social media the intent to protest or even riot hundreds of times on hundreds of occasions. Some may even become real, legal, peaceful, coordinated protests that are minor in nature or have very few people. The real intent is to actually incite or conduct a riot on a particular date with less law enforcement attention. Basically, call wolf so many times that an enemy is caught off guard. Thank you.